Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This week on the latest episode of The Big Show. we It's Easter weekend. And the lineup for the Cons Film Festival has been unveiled. We'll talk about some of the high-profile titles that will be featured. Plus, it's the 30th anniversary of Deep Cover. And we'll talk about the lasting impact of that film. In addition, we'll discuss Molly Shannon's claims against Gary Coleman. And everybody plays the fool. This time is Cuba Gooden Jr. He's up. We'll have all that and more on episode 499, Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. All right, and welcome to the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. I'm back in the theater. I am Tim Gordon. That man that's sitting over there, that Baltimore Orioles fan, that man of God, this is Holy Week. It is Charles Kirkland Jr. What's going on, bro? I'm glad you mentioned that it's Holy Week because I, I'm just inundated by the amount of work, not just for my classes, but my pastor tells me I need to preach on Good Friday. So I'll be preaching a sermon tomorrow. And so let's go. All right. There you go, man. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week, man. And, um, you know, weather is breaking here in D.C. It's been Pretty nice the last couple of days, 70, 75 degrees. Charles is enjoying, along with me, beginning of baseball season. We won't talk about his team because, you know, I watched the results last night after talking to Charles. Charles is really not happy with uh, with how it went down. I, on the other hand, am very, very happy. <laughs> so we won't, we won't rub it in because it's a long season. This is only the first week. And, um, you know, it's a long way to go, man. Uh, 162 games, we're about seven down. A lot of stuff happening, man. But let me lead off, man, with the Cons Film Festival lineup has been revealed. And, you know, ordinarily, I think that uh, Cons normally will have maybe inside of their high profile films, it's usually like a lot of smaller films or films that will have buzz later on in the year. Um, but I understand that we've been in a pandemic the last couple of years and that Cons has not had an opportunity to really have a lot of in-person stuff. I think they were in person last year and a lot of people didn't come. But um, just looking at some of these early films, man, I'm like, wow. Um, of course, the big one is going to be uh, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, which a lot of people are looking forward to. I would not be one of those people. Charles, are you? Are you? I mean, I'm like. Yeah. Uh, 
Eh, Elvis, eh. I mean, I, I understand that there are people who are excited. I just would not be one. What about you, Chuck? What about you, Charles? Well, and to quote one of my favorite rappers, Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant to me. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, no, not a big Elvis fan. Uh, I, I mean, I respect, you know, what he accomplished in his life on the backs of other people, but uh, eh, no, I'm not big a uh, con. Uh, I'm big uh, Elvis fan, so. It, it, it might be interesting. I think the big interest is that uh, it, uh, uh, having For Forrest Gump as as the manager for uh, Elvis. That's going to be interesting to see. Well, you know, Baz Luhrmann, who you know most recently did uh, did he do a Great Gatsby? Am I correct? Yes. And he's also done uh, what was the other one? Moulin Rouge. I mean, Baz Luhrmann. As a, as a guy who likes music in his films, Baz Luhrmann is usually always over the top. So it will be interesting to watch what happens with that film, with Baz Luhrmann's involvement, because there's already a certain level of excitement around what Baz will bring to it. And for people who like his work, you give him the benefit of a doubt. For people who didn't like Moulin Rouge, <laughs> or, or uh, what was the other movie I just named? Um, the Great Gatsby. This one might not work for you, so we will check that out. Now, speaking of Elvis, uh, his grand his granddaughter Riley Kehoe also has a film that's going to be premiering at uh, cons called Beast, which is set on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Again, you know, we read the descriptions, and you know, you and I both do film festivals. We go to you know some of these like Toronto and Sundance. And the description is nice, man. You got to give me the execution. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so we will see. Uh, some other films, which is the one that raised my eyebrow, was Top Gun premiering at Cannes. Top Gun Maverick at Cannes. <sighs> I, I, mean, I, I mean, I get it. It's a high-profile title. But at Cannes? I mean... The only like like if you would have said it's premiering at Toronto, to me that would have made more sense because I've seen Ford versus Ferrari or those sorts of films at Toronto. But Cannes or Can, you know, for people at home going, they're mispronouncing it. It's either Can or Can. What are one of those two? You you, you tomato tomato. You pick. <laughs> I think it's pronounced Can, but I've heard people use Can, so I'm like okay. So, Charles, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, this movie's been sitting on the shelf, man, since 2019, 2020. They've been trying to get this thing out. And here we are in 2022. And, uh, you know, this Top Gun, uh, which is really interesting because they had it timed initially that it would have been the 35th anniversary had it debuted in 2020. So 35 years later. Now it's 37 years later. And here comes Maverick. Um, what are you thinking? Oh, I'm sorry. It was Top Gun 86 or 85? Might be 86. No, 85. Was it 85? Yeah. I, I remember Top Gun intimately because I had the, the wonderful opportunity of seeing the screener for the first Top Gun movie at the Annapolis Naval Academy, seated around a bunch of crazed midshipmen. And it was one of the most exciting uh, screenings I had ever been to in my life. Um, it was, it so was yeah, I, I, I do believe that was 85 because was I was 86. 
It was 86. Yeah, I just looked it up. He oh, <laughs> came wow. out of it. He came yeah. out of May, May 16th, 86. So we tried to get it right here on the show. So if it would have come out last year, that would have been the 35th anniversary. And I know initially it was either 20, I want to say it was either 2020 or 2019. Because whatever, whenever COVID started, it got bumped. And I know it got bumped several times. So uh, yeah, so it says that, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, I'm reading well, it. I, I, saw, I saw it at the Naval Academy. And again, it was a great film for the Naval Academy, you send around surrounded by all these people who are uh, action junkies uh, being midshipmen. It was a great film. I don't know if Top Gun 2 is a con film. It, it, it really isn't a festival film. I don't think it would have even been appropriate for TIFF, like you said. Uh, that's, not, that's not exactly the kind of thing that they go for. And unless... This is supposed to be some cinematic masterpiece that we're looking at. Uh, I don't see any award nominations coming out of this. Maybe, maybe, you know, for technical things. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff you look for at Khan. You look for these these, uh, dynamite performances by actors or actresses or directors. Um, I don't know how this fits. I, I know Cruz has been dying to get this movie to play for the last couple of years. And so uh, I guess he'll take whatever he can get. Whatever he can get. Now, other uh, major titles announced at cons is going to be George Miller, who we last saw do Mad Max as 3,000 Years of Longing. David Cronenberg has Crimes of the Future. Kelly Reichard, who, you know, I've, 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 you know, I've been very critical of some of her earlier work, but she has Showing Up at the festival. And James Gray has Armageddon Time, which are all in the official selection category at cons. Um, they, you know, we just talked about them confirming Top Gun Maverick alongside a tribute to Tom Cruise on the second day of the festival, which is scheduled to take place in person again uh, from the 17th of May through the 28th. Uh, they have joining Elvis in celebrating the 20th century rock legends are two music focused features. Ethan Cohen's Out of Competition Doc, Jerry Lee Lewis, Trouble in My Mind, and Moon Age Daydream, a montage driven midnight movie tribute to David Bowie from Brett Morgan in the vein of his Kurt Cobain film. So all that's happening at cons along with uh, new work from several returning uh, Palm d'Or winners. Uh, there's a film called, or a social satire called Triangle of Sadness. And the reason why I'm having this conversation is because cons is really like the kickoff of award season, right? So, you know, if you think years ago, uh, Spike Lee debuted, um, the five bloods at cons, right? Um, so, so even before we get to tell you ride Venice in um, Toronto in late August, early September, cons is kind of a, a kickoff. And some of these movies that are playing at cons, the ones that are really well received, may show up again at Toronto or some of those other festivals as the lead in. And I know people are like, "Hey, man, the Oscars would just like." what, a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago? And you guys are talking about <laughs> the award season for next year? As Ferris Bueller once said, it comes at you fast. <laughs> you got to be prepared, man. So there's a lot of stuff. So let me say some of these titles again. Triangle of Sadness, the Japanese uh, film, Korean set film, Broker. Our Romanian director has a film called RMN, 
And there's also a film called Tori and Lokita. Now, again, I don't know what's going to happen with any of these films, Charles. We might get lucky, you know, a couple of months down the line. He'd be like, remember we talked about that in our con special back in the day? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so go ahead, now, Charles. I, I will say this, and I, this will be news to you, but I solicited both Beast and Crimes of the Future for the Lakefront Film Festival. I have not heard back from either one of those uh, 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 people for, you know, who knows? We may have it here in Washington, D.C. Well, they're saying, Charles, and that's, thank you for that. That was a good, a good mention that uh, their, their official title has now swelled to 80. They had 80 titles at cons in person this year. They announced 49 at the press conference. Um, they had a committee went through 2,200 films that were submitted for cons. 2,200. Yeah, man. So I am really looking forward to seeing what comes out of con. And I'm looking at all of the films that are in competition right now. And there are a lot of movies, man, with a lot of big names uh, that are coming out. Uh, and they have them in the different sections. Beast, as you said, uh, is the Riley Kehoe film that is in uh, Uncertain. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm butchering this, but it, in English, Uncertain Regard. Uh, but that's probably not how you pronounce it. And then Out of Competition are Elvis, Final Cut, Masquerade. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's not masquerade. It's masquerade. Masquerade from France. Same word. It's masquerade. Don't don't try to get all French on us. Just reading it the way they have it here. November, three thousand years of longing, and Top Gun Maverick are all out of competition. And of course, Moon Age Daydream is in the midnight section along with Hunt. Uh, you know, you got a couple of special screenings, including Jerry Lee Lewis, Trouble in My Mind, and then there's several uh, cons premieres. So. The 17th, 17th, excuse me, through the 28th uh, in, in the South France, you know, a festival I've long wanted to go to and check it out. But if I don't go, I'm good. <laughs> if, I, if I'm not at cons because, you know, no big deal. It's good. It's all good. So, Charles, before we move on, anything else about con and uh, the experience of what these guys are, are, you know, what potentially is to come? Because some of those films are going to play uh longer than cons i'm just telling you that now yeah um i'm looking forward to michael has a movie the uh z is going to be also at uh is actually the opening film for the festival this year uh and he's also the one who brought gave us the artist uh a couple years back so um that's going to be an interesting film uh and i think was the artist was like 2011 and so to see him coming back with something uh, interesting, I, I just can't wait to see what it's going to be. Uh, and that uh, it's called Z. So uh, we'll see. I, I'm I want to see it. I wish I wish I was going to be there, but yeah, it, it maybe sometime day in the future. All righty. Okay. So also moving on to big news this week, and I forgot to put this in our opening tease, but I was surprised to learn about the death of. Comedian Gilbert, comedian actor, excuse me, Gilbert Gottfried, who passed away after a long illness at the age of 67. Gottfried came on my radar, I don't know, 30 some odd years ago, almost 40 now, 
and I want to say it was one of the Beverly Hills Cops movies alongside Eddie Murphy. Am I correct? With Gilbert Godfrey? Yeah, yeah, that was two. Beverly Hills Cop Two. Beverly Hills Cop Two. Um, Godfrey was was absolutely funny. I went and looked at some of his work. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I think we're getting our franchises mixed up, but uh, go ahead. I'm going to check. No, 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 no. I'm checking now because I never want us to be incorrect as it relates to um, talking about folks and their careers. Uh, ironically, his final post, though, was about Chris Rock, <laughs> which is really yeah. interesting about the post-Oscar uh, you know, situation. So that was his last, that was his last post. Uh, Godfrey passed away on the 12th of April. And I'm trying to think, it was, it was Beverly Hills Cop 2. He was. played uh, accountant Sidney Bernstein, which reunited him with his friend and fellow SNL alumnus, Eddie Murphy. So, um, yeah, man, this guy had an amazing career. Um, it's funny because we talk about comedy. It was another comedian recently that passed away. Was it Saget, Bob Saget, that passed away? I'm trying to remember. It was a conversation you and I had about a comedian um, and, you know, you thought, oh, no, no, it wasn't Bob Saget. It was, um, I forget the gentleman's name, who you thought was funny. And I was like, yeah, he's all right. Um, Norm MacDonald. Remember that? Yeah, Norm MacDonald. Yeah. Now, this might be a case where we're, or we're on opposite ends because Gilbert Godfrey always made me laugh. And, you know, I had the opportunity to watch uh, his infamous roast of uh, Hugh Hefner, where he did um, The Aristocrats. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> that was funny um i'm not even going to attempt to explain it you've just got to go online and research it but pretty much the joke itself is not a, a new joke but it's been told over time by comedians who literate with literate with as much filthy stuff as they can say to get you to the punchline that's always the same but it's always funny watching people get to the punchline and Godfrey does like a 10 or 11 minute version of it where the first six minutes, I think everybody was in utter shock. And then after <laughs> shifted and people were laughing and falling out of chairs and couldn't breathe. They couldn't catch their breath. And, and I watched it. I was like, wow, <laughs> it was funny. So Gilbert Godfrey, man, 67 years old, uh, another comedian man who has transitioned, uh, Charles, as a as a person who uh, has a background in comedy, people wouldn't know it from watching this show. But as a person who has a background in comedy, uh, any 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 uh, thoughts on the the life and career of Gilbert Godfrey? Uh, Gilbert Godfrey is the probably one of the last insult comics that we've that we've come along. Uh, from our life. A lot of people know him as Iago from uh, Aladdin, the classic, or even the Aflac duck. He, he did all that stuff. 
but I mean, he his comedy was just biting. And and you talk about how he was in the aristocrats. Bob Saget was also in the, the aristocrats uh, that tell this this joke. But I mean, he's a, a storied career from his time on SNL on forward. I mean, it, he's just a legend. He was a legend. And uh, th there are a few people coming along today. I, I think of uh, Jimmy Carr, who's in, in England, who does that kind of work. Uh, but nobody did, can do it like Gilbert Gottfried is. So uh, it's it's a big loss. Um, and and uh, I'm sad about it. I'm sad about it. Well, it's interesting, man. There's this photo that somebody uh, put up. I think it was from Lydia Cornell. She said, I can't believe this. Gilbert Godfrey is gone. Rest in peace, funny man. This picture was taken with Bob Saget and Louis Anderson was only taken three months ago. So within the last three months, we've lost Bob Saget, Louis Anderson, and now Gilbert Godfrey. Uh, now he is in the great comedy club in the beyond with all his friends. Wow. Wow, that's an, that's a, that's an incredible picture right there. That's an amazing photo, man, of those guys, man. So rest in power to Gilbert Gottfried, to Charles's point, uh, an insult comedian of great renown. Somebody always made me laugh. I think it was the voice. And his the voice <laughs> and the delivery always got me with Gilbert Gottfried. Like, that guy's funny. <laughs> so he just announced that he was doing this uh, uh, movie called Hassle at the Castle. Uh, and and both he and they were going to somehow have Don Rickles in it as well. Um, so that was the first thing I said when it passed, people were like, well, what's going to happen to Hassel at the castle? I was like, I have no idea. I have no yeah, idea. Unless, unless there was some stuff. I don't know, man. You know, sometimes people shoot stuff and it sits in the can. That's why, you know, people, you know, we talked about Chadwick Boseman back in the day. You know, he had shot, a, he had shot so much material at it even a year i think it was a year or so after he died they still were unearthing chadwick bozeman audio and things that he had worked on uh so we don't know man maybe but gilbert godfrey as we said dead at the age of 67 uh, you know he gave me some entertainment thank you sir for the last because i had a lot of them watching your material now i will transition to something that's not funny and, and hopefully you will not make it funny. But on a recent episode of Howard Stern, Molly Shannon came on the show and talked about how the late Gary Coleman sexually harassed her. Now, I'm only bringing this up, man, because, you know, we're not, not to make light of any woman in any situation being sexually harassed because I got a mama, I got a sister, I got women in my lives and we both have women in our lives that you don't ever want to have anybody uh, be able to, to, to have been in that situation. And I used to say that, you know, back before the whole Bill Cosby thing broke, well, well, you know, well, why would people wait, you know, a certain amount of time, everybody, Charles has to process stuff in their own time. Right. So I get that. Um, this one is is interesting because, of course, Gary Coleman, you know, we all watched him, you know, when he was a young man, um, you know, doing doing it on his show uh, back in the day, him and him and young Willis. Um, and, you know, you, you want to have this this image or this idea about Gary Coleman being like this guy, you know, this little cute kid. 
but you remember that this cute kid is an adult and a human being and you know nobody's perfect and and as they say on the street y'all ish happens <laughs> so here we are years later and molly shannon reveals that uh you know her and coleman shared an agent and that he had just she had just signed with coleman's manager and got the chance to meet him at a penthouse hotel room so i'm just going to relay the story so this is not me interjecting any of my thoughts these are the words of shannon in this article she said i think he was like sit down on the bed it was very sweet and then he was like tickling tickling me a little this and that she goes on to mention that Coleman, she told Coleman that she was a virgin and tried to be polite about turning down his advances. And he allegedly only became more aggressive with her. He was relentless, Shannon said. Then he was, he was like trying to kiss me and get on top. And I was like, no, Gary, stop. So I pushed him off. Then I would get off the bed. Then he would bounce on the bed, jump, 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 and wrap himself around me. I'm going to stop right there because, you know, there's more but we don't need to go there. Um, Gary Coleman, who uh, passed away, I want to say, I'm not sure exactly how long ago it was. Uh, look that up, Charles, because I want to make sure we don't, we don't mess that one up again. Uh, Gary Coleman has been gone now, what? I don't know. And the clarification. I just want to make sure we get this part right. Uh, because no, no, wait a minute, hold on. Uh, let's see, he passed away in 2010, May okay. of 20. So, Gary Coleman has been gone for over a decade, and his story comes out. And I think it only made news because a couple of things, right? You know, here is another person who is brave enough to step up and kind of detail an experience, a, a very negative experience, right. And then the, the fact that the perpetrator was somebody that people knew. Um, how does this, Charles, does this make you feel any way about Gary Coleman, uh, his career achievements? Because none of us knew Gary personally, right? So it's not like, oh man, not Gary. But I'm just saying like his career achievements, does it make you think or, or is this part of our, you know, when I think about our culture right now, right? Um, I'm not even going to go into what the most obvious piece is, which is what we have been talking about for the last two shows. We're not even going there today. But the fact that somebody can have a career um, in this business and for whatever reason, cross the line, Charles, cross the line. And suddenly we have to rethink or, or recalibrate everything we know about an individual. Uh, is that the case with the career of Gary Coleman? What you talking about, Tim? I don't understand. Cause, because uh, I think we all kind of knew that Gary Coleman was not the nicest guy growing up. I mean, the whole everybody on different strokes had issues. And Gary Coleman was... And a play you know, Ty Bridges, Gary... <laughs> yeah, I'm like, come on. Um, we kind of knew some of this stuff was going on behind the scenes. I mean, they, they had trysts together, and, and Gary Coleman was, from what I heard, a lech growing up, growing up. I mean, wow. I'm, not, I'm not surprised by her statements at all. I'm not surprised that Molly had this experience. 
because I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that had them. But the question I have is, and I don't want to uh, step on the process of healing or whatever that she's going through. Why she got to talk about it now? The man been dead for tw- 12 years. I mean, I, I we'll understand. See. We'll see. Understand. I I, that seemed, I I understand that you got to be. You. Don't, no, we're not. Don't be Dave Chappelle right now. We're not victim blaming. I'm just saying that you no, have no, to be, no, 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 no. I'm not victim blaming. blaming at all. I'm, I'm saying, why does she have to go on the Howard Stern show and relate this? Well, this let, me, not, let me let me tell you why, right? And, and as a person who produced on radio, what actually happens, and this happens on the Howard Stern show a lot, right? They have guests that come on. And they'll, the producers will ask questions because Howard has to have stuff to talk about, right? So tell, and it's just like every other talk show. If you talk about Late Night with Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, um, what is my other guy's name um, that has uh, John Baptiste, um, Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert. Yeah. Anybody that's got a late night show, the producers are talking, trying to figure out what the talking point, what are you here to promote? In Stern's case, a lot of times it's not about really something. It may be something they have to promote, but they'll also ask, are there any other funny stories that you want to bring up or any other issues that you want to talk about with Howard? And that might have come out in a pre-interview, right? So the fact that she is addressing it maybe for the first time 12 years after it happened, I don't really have a problem because, again, what what the Bill Cosby case taught me is that if you have been engaged in bad behavior and that bad behavior was 40 or 50 years ago and somebody finally has the courage to step up we can't blame them charles for when they step up because it would just be like somebody you are connected to if they had the courage to step up there's situations that have occurred that i know of of people who have never come never come forward to talk about situations but they told them to me but it's not my place to, to talk about somebody else's situation. So we, we have got to get past the point of, of this whole, you know, uh, statue of limitations as it comes down to the time. I'm just being real. And, and I think I, 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 I hear what you're saying. And if you if they were in a court of law or if she was in a, a, a if this had a telltale book that she was promoting. I, I mean, I could understand, but just to come off the cuff and talk about a guy who's been dead for 12 years, 12 years, been dead for 12 years. I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that she shouldn't have done it, but I'm questioning. And, and, you know, Howard Stern is one of those ones that you know is known for sensationalism and bringing, I mean, just doing stuff for whatever reasons that that are less than valid but you're stepping on and 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 like i said gary coleman is not the, the nicest guy in, in the history of uh of of uh entertainment so you, but you're still trampling on the man's grave a little bit and i and i totally understand the need for uh release and but was this the atmosphere truly was was she getting uh, a release by divulging it on the Her- Howard Stern show. That's my only question. Okay. Uh, okay. I mean, so, sitting on a, on a couch with Oprah. Yeah, sitting on CBS this morning. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that I don't, I don't think the venue is important. But again, like I said, I don't want to. I'm not going to labor the point because we have a lot of other show and get into the weeds as it relates to 
where things are, are released or revealed. I'm just to a point now that having talked to family members and talked to close friends that I understand that it is not easy. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For women who have undergone this sort of sexual trauma, uh, this abuse to, you know, we can't put them on our schedule and go, you need to talk about it when you need to talk about it. Or we need you to talk about it now. No, everybody doesn't work that way. And I'm saying be sympathetic. And you and I will probably have another conversation probably off air where I'll kind of illustrate because again, you know, as Lady Gaga once saying, until it happens to you, right? So if somebody, if it happened to somebody close to you, you would really, I think you'd have a very definitive, a very different attitude because I get you. I was with you too. When, you know, when that, Cos that Cosby case taught me a lot because we were riding for Bill, right? And I was like, man, come on, man. Maybe the first 35 don't count, man. But like, what is, <laughs> what's going on? And then when you looked at it in totality, uh, and that horrendous experience that both you and I had watching that documentary at Sundance early this year, it sort of changed my opinion that I was like, bruh, you know, and, and, and plus, like I said, stuff I've heard over time. And I'm like, so we have to have, we have to give people a little grace, man. It may not make sense to us, man, but sometimes, you know, there are other thoughts higher than ours, man, that we need to, to kind of make sure that we're kind of living in that certain example of understanding and having a lot more empathy for people uh, for what their experiences are. And Charles, if you thought that one was fun, they also announced <laughs> yesterday, and I'm being sarcastic, if you thought that yeah. one was, was I, I got that. Cuba Gooden Jr., whatever happened to him? This guy pleaded guilty to forcible touching. What is forcible touching, Charles? And again, not being funny, because I'm not making light of any of this stuff, but I'm just saying, I was like, forcible touching. So they said he pleaded guilty to one count of forcible touching in a criminal case that accused him of violating three different women at Manhattan nightclubs in 2018 and 2019. It's a part of the plea. So, uh, are you ready? Oh, I'm sorry. Were you ready? I, I was getting ready to give you the story. Oh, no, no, I'm reading it right now. I was just giving this to the audience. You know, as a part of the plea deal, uh, the former Oscar winner avoids jail time and must continue his alcohol and behavioral counseling, which began in 2019 for six more months without any arrest. If he complies, the conviction will be reduced to a violation, which is not a crime. Wow. So he was accused in June of 2019 of squeezing a woman's breast without her consent. Uh, that incident, two more women came forward with, with accusations of improper touching. Uh, one woman who's a server alleged that uh, the Oscar women pinched her butt. Another woman said that he forcibly touched her inappropriately. <sighs> mm. All right. Let me just say this, man. All right. Because again, I'm not going to come across like I'm holier than thou, right? When I was a young man, there was a lot of things that working in, in entertainment, working in radio, that people did, right? 
that we thought was funny at the time, which probably is not funny. It wasn't funny then, and it's not funny now, right? So, yeah, that's tough, man. And, uh, you know, so... I feel, I just feel bad for anybody. No, I'm saying Charles is laughing. I'm, I'm being, I'm totally serious, but I just feel bad for, for, I mean, we live in a, in a culture right now where these things are, are more or less of, especially over the last decade that have really come to the forefront. And I think we as, as men specifically have to figure out, man, how to make that transition. Because remember, we are men of a certain age. Uh, and meaning that we are over 40. So, you know, once you're over 40, there are things that, that have transpired that we know of in our lifetime, but then we're in a different place. And Charles definitely disagrees with me. So he's just kind of looking at me with this look on his face, man. <laughs> like, go ahead, Charles. Um, Cuba Gooding Jr. got just got the OJ. That's all I'm saying. He got away with murder. Uh, he, uh, you read the charges. He he groped, groped this woman, grabbed her breast, grabbed, uh, squeezed another girl's butt, and the third incident was where he kissed this woman un, uh, unwelcomely. So out of all those three complaints, he pled guilty to kissing the woman uh, without consent and got this sweetheart of a deal where he where he's on this probation that he just has to keep himself, he has to go to alcohol counseling. He's, he claimed that, you know, he was drunk at the time or whatever when he when these things occurred. But he got a sweetheart of a deal because once this is all, if he stays in compliance with the probation, attends the alcohol, it's not even a crime. He's, he's not even going to be uh, 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 guilty of committing a crime. He got a sweetheart of a deal in this. And, and I'm saying... Uh, it's, it's a terrible thing that he did, but he got away with murder. That's all I'm saying. That's, that's it. So when you see me sitting murder, over here, murder, murder, murder and all this stuff, he, he got he, away he, with, he got away with a soul. Blessed. Say that. <laughs> so let me, let me, blessed. that's all I'm saying. He got blessed. Okay. So in total, they're saying more than 20 women have come forward to accuse, uh, and I keep throwing this out there, the former Oscar winner. I'm saying that intentionally. And if you know what I've been talking about the last two weeks, you know why I keep saying that. Uh, the former Oscar winner has been accused of 20 women who have come forward to accuse him of groping or forcibly kissing them in incidents dating back two decades. Uh, in 2020, uh, the former Oscar winner was accused in a lawsuit of raping a woman in 2013. The woman alleged Gooding raped her in a New York City motel room the former Oscar winner has denied the accusations. How many times did I get former Oscar winner in there? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> I'm gonna leave that alone. But yeah, yeah I to former, bring, former Oscar winner. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to bring you up to date on that because um, I think that uh, this 10 year ban is uh, <laughs> ridiculous. It is ridiculous because. There have been, well, never mind. I'm, I'm not going to go there, but I, I'm just outraged. Like, I got a call on Saturday from two, two people I respect who are really good friends of mine and journalists who were equally outraged. And uh, Harry Lennox, who has been a guest on this show, wow. You let, me, let, let me just say this. Let me just say this. 
Roman Pulaski won an I, Oscar. I was, I was going there. I, didn't, I see you don't Oscar. open up. This man was a fugitive. <laughs> Literally, when he won the Oscar, was a fugitive. Fugitive. He, he had, and let's just say what he did. This, this Oscar winner raped, anally raped a 13-year-older and fled the country. He didn't get kicked out of the academy until, I don't know, between somewhere between 2010, 20, whatever it was. I, I know it wasn't, it wasn't Maybe just in like eight years ago. Pretty much. Yeah. And they gave him an Oscar when he was a when he was a fugitive. So, so again, watch this. Somebody getting slapped on the stage of a live Oscar show. Is it bad? Yes. Um should there be some sort of a punishment for that? Absolutely. Is banning somebody for 10 years, um, taking away their ability to work by, you know, having projects and money dried up so this person can't work, is any of that stuff fair when there have been countless times that there have been other people who have done things, you know, I don't know, I, I guess assault of a, of a minor and then fleeing justice, you know, or other people who have been accused of crimes that have Oscars. I'm like, you can miss me with all this outrage. And, and, you know, you know the, the, my favorite phrase, my favorite two phrases, Charles, you know, uh, you, 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 you doing damage to the race. What, what the hell is this? 1940? Like, what are you talking about? 2022. If, like, watch this. Here's an example. In New York, couple of days ago, right? The guy that did that was a black guy. You think I'm gonna walk down the street with my head held down in shame because a stupid black dude who's pretty much the worst criminal and in, in, well, actually he may not be the dumbest criminal because they're all of them who get caught really quickly are dumb. But the fact that you rented a U-Haul in your own name, the fact that you had a bag that had, uh, had evidence that was in it, which it would make with ways to identify you in the bag and they caught you within 24 hours. I'm not, he didn't bring down the race for me because it's not, we're, we're, we're above one person representing the race at this point. You know, we are all our own folk. We all have to be responsible for all of our actions. And the fact that there are some people who look like Charles and I that are out there doing dumb stuff doesn't take away from all the positive stuff I'm doing. So Harry Lennox, I was trying not to go there. Charles brought it up, man. Stop it, man. We're trying to move on. We got we have more show. Look, there was a point in time when something like this would happen and we'd be like, well, we know that wasn't us. But hey, you like the, the DC sniper, that was my favorite. Like, wait, yeah, the DC wait, sniper. What? that was a brother. <laughs> wow, in corrections at the time of the DC sniper, and I correcting correctly identified. I said, Those guys are black. I said, There's two of them, and they're black. I, I knew it from the start. Wow, well, you know, again, like I said, I am just been deeply, deeply disturbed and, and had lots of passionate conversations and interactions with uh, with people who are in the community. And we all, they may not come on the air and, and can't say it publicly, but I'm telling you, uh, man, the, you know, the punishment needs to fit the crime. And so when the punishment doesn't fit the crime, that's an issue. 
So speaking of punishment fitting the crime, we now get to our final segment of the day's show. And it dawned on me that uh, the day is, uh, we're, we're about Easter weekend. We literally are knocking on the door of the 30th anniversary of a movie that I think was a game changer when it was released in 1992. And I'll explain why. And the movie, of course, was Deep Cover, right? This film directed by Bill Duke uh, starred um, Lawrence Fishburne, Jeff Goldblum, Charles Martin Smith, and the late great, uh, what is my man's name? Um, uh, God. How do I? How did I do this to myself? Uh, not Victoria <laughs> Dillard because she's very much alive. Clarence Williams III, Roger Ginsburg Smith. Um, for people at home who are a lot younger that didn't de- didn't see Deep Cover, Deep Cover tells a story of a detective who uh, I'm sorry, actually he was a police officer first who is brought in on an interview. Uh, they need somebody to go undercover. And when you studied his profile, his profile was one of a criminal, more of a criminal than it was of of an honest man, which we find out going through his backstory that he was a son of of a kind of a drug addicted guy who gets shot uh, on Christmas Eve, trying to steal him a Christmas gift. And he's got like this chip on his shoulder. And the reason why this movie means so much to me is that it is one of the movies that of one of our honorees that we just had uh, a couple of months ago at the Black Reel Awards. We honored Lawrence Fishburne with the Sidney Poitier for Lifetime Achievement. And his performance in this film, another film that came out a couple of years later called Bad Company in 1994. You know, yeah. about a year later, he does um, Othello and uh, an HBO movie called Always Outnumbered, Always Outgunned. Um, Lawrence Fishburne is somebody who I've literally watched since he was like nine years old when he was little Larry Fishburne and Cornbread Earl and me. So this movie, to me, he, I mean, I'd seen him in, in, in school days and I'd seen him do some other movies, but this movie, Charles, was one of the first ones when I looked at him like, man, this transition from being a young actor to becoming more of an established actor. He would also go on the next year after making this movie to be Ike Turner. So Lawrence Fishburne is an actor's actor. I've seen this guy on stage. I went to see him on Broadway uh, as Thurgood Marshall. Lawrence Fishburne, don't sleep on him. In In the early 1990s, the big three of black acting were Denzel Washington, Lawrence Fishburne, and Wesley Snipes. So to me, he has always been that dude and this movie here was one of the ones where he perfected what I call this kind of dark, mysterious swag. I don't even know how else to say it other than that. It was like a mood of how he moved like he was a Black Panther, like just sleep. His, I mean, seriously, I'm not being it's not, I'm not being racist. I'm not being funny, but I'm saying think about somebody who is in the community who just has a certain carriage about themselves. Lawrence Fishburne, to me, was that guy. And when he plays in this movie, man, there's so many great one-liners in this movie. You know, um, when the guy says, um, you know, he asked him a question about, you know, the money, and he said, uh, only an end would tell you that. <laughs> when you watch the movie, you'll understand what I'm talking about because there's a context built around it. But 
This is also a movie, if you remember, that Bill Duke makes. And five years later, Bill Duke reunites with Lawrence Fishburne and they do Hoodlum uh, with right. Tyson, which is another really interesting performance from Lawrence Fishburne. But this movie is also notable because it introduced the world to Snoop Doggy Dog, who does his first single with Dr. Dre, which is the, which is the title of the film, Deep Cover, right? So you right. had this, this new element to the film, you know, I can feel it, boom, boom, boom. And then, you know, that plays in with the, with the narrative. You got, you got Clarence Williams III, who by this time is a veteran actor, who has done a lot of great work, the, the scenes with him in Fishburne that he's trying, he understands who Fishburne is and he's trying to give him salvation and save him. And Fishburne is understanding what he's saying, but you know, I'm not really there yet. Crazy Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> kind of in the mix. Uh, Victoria Dillard, who's, who would later get into a real life relationship with Lawrence Fishburne. There's a lot of stuff going on in this movie, man. And this movie to me, you know, that famous, well, no, no, I'm sorry, Bill Duke, I was about to say that famous scene, but that was actually Menace of Society with the gun in the interrogation room. Yeah. Same director, but there are a lot of connections to Deep Cover, a film I like a lot. I'm not going to say it's the greatest film ever made. Can I watch it over and over? Absolutely. I can watch Deep Cover over and over. Charles, I'm done. What do you think about Deep Cover, man? Okay, first of all, I want to, say I'm upset that you left Morgan Freeman off the the pantheon of uh, actors that came up during that time because he was not a, he was not a leading guy man remember he did Street Smart in 87 he did uh he was a a, a supporting actor in Glory he was not a I mean he did dance he did driving Miss Daisy but you don't think of Lawrence Fisher I mean you don't think about Morgan Freeman the way you think about Denzel Wesley and Fishburne during that time during that time that's what I'm saying. So I mean, I mean, uh, 95. He did seven. Shawshank Redemption was 94. Come on, he's leading. He's leading. Yeah, I mean, okay, okay, but I still, I mean, but you got to understand, these guys are all around the same age too. You know, Snipes, Denzel, 67. Fishburne might be 60. So you, it appeared that they were all around a certain, the same, a certain age, but they're actually not. Denzel, I think, is a little older than these other two are. But yeah, I get your point, man. But I still would not have put. Morgan Freeman in that group, which okay. is why I called it, which is why I called it the big three, not the <laughs> three and a half, the big four, because because at the time, at, during their hottest, you know, when I talked about, you know, uh, from about 80, from 90, let's say 87 to 95 for both Denzel, uh, Denzel, Snipes and, and Fishburne, there's a gang of movies, King of New York. Uh, Glory, Mo Better Blues, where they cross paths, you know, um, you know, Fishburne is doing, like I said, Bad Company, What's Love Got to Do With It? So, right, by the time 94, 95, you start getting Morgan Freeman kind of breaking in, but that period right there, those guys dominated. Passenger 57, and on and on and on. You could just name Malcolm X. There's so many movies from Washington, Snipes, and Fishburne that are memorable movies that before Morgan Freeman became that guy, he was still a great character actor. You know, uh, what was his his, his name? Uh, Fast was it Fast Black? And uh, yeah, Fast Black. Yeah, he should have got an Oscar nomination for Fast Black. He was great in that film. He really was. But go ahead, man. 
about about Morgan Freeman you were talking about? Uh, well, I mean, I, I said what I had to say about Morgan Freeman. You shot it down like you, yeah, Morgan Freeman is nobody. But anyway, <laughs> I, I know. Wow. I know. I know you're focusing on your love for Larry Fishburne. His publicist, I never said he was a nobody. I just said he wasn't a Wow. You know, um, Fishburne was great in this movie. You're right. But for me, I was really intrigued by Jeff Goldblum, who hit, you know, the I think the the last thing I had seen him really do anything in was the fly. And then here he comes in this film, and he's just, I, I mean. He start, he's just a lunatic, I guess, is the best way I could put it. But uh, I really enjoy seeing him in this movie as well. But this, yeah, this is one of those films that's just like a staple. If you're a, a, a black guy rock, coming up in this time, everybody, everybody's seen Deep Cover. And just, I mean, it's just a great film. Uh, uh, back and forth, Bill Duke. Uh, I think it uh, it may have been one of those ones that, that was like... Uh, I, I know it was on the outlier of uh, 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 Minister Society and Boys in, in the Hood and all that stuff, but it, it was kind of wrapping up that genre at that time. But it, it was a fantastic film, and and I, I I need to show it to my sons. I don't think they've ever seen it. So, uh, it, it, so, so, so Charles, let me jump in for a second because as you were saying that, it just dawned on me because when you said uh, Minister Society, right? So think 1991, Wesley Snipes is Nino Brown, right? Yeah. 1992, Russell Stevens is Lawrence Fishburne, right? Denzel Washington doesn't really play that role, but of course he's got Mo Better Blues, Malcolm X, you got Jungle Fever. I'm just saying there was a period of about five years when these guys literally dominated like cinema, like if there was a movie being made and they needed a black lead, it would be one of them three dudes. It just would be. And you know, whether it's School Days with Lawrence Fishburne, whether it's, um, you know, I'm trying to think, none of those guys were in. I know Jungle Fever, of course, is Snipes. Um, I, I just have a lot of respect for those guys because now we're kind of in a very different period with cinema where there's so many different people that we can look to, but that was not always the case, man, when you were talking about big budget action films, whether it's bet on, always bet on black, Passenger 57, Wesley Snipes, you know, whether it's Denzel Washington in a movie I couldn't stand called Ricochet. Uh, you know, I tell you guys, I tell you guys all the time, Denzel Washington has made about maybe four or five films that I think are just detestable, like virtuosity, awful. Uh, it's just awful. It's an awful movie. But again, there's 40 other Denzel Washington movies that are fantastic. So if if it's 40 over five, I can live with that ratio. That's eight to one. So every eight Denzel Washington movies, that, if, I'm sorry, for every nine Denzel Washington movies, there might be a bad Denzel Washington movie. Just got to live with that. Denzel Washington is not perfect, but his percentage is a lot higher than almost everybody else. I guarantee you, if we sat down here and had and did a show where we went over the top forty films from every person, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be nine or forty five films. It wouldn't be nine to one. I tell you that much. Samuel L. Jackson is he a nine to one? No, no. Watch this. Maybe. No. But you got to remember, as long as you made Formula Fifty One, that's always going to be one of those. <laughs> Formula 51, awful. 
Hey, we should actually do a show. Five, five the show. Marvel movies count for Samuel. I mean, yeah, they, they're all man, all those are great. But my point is, we should actually do a show where we pick like we we pick a group of people and we find and debate their worst movies. That would be fun. Denzel Washington is just too easy because I think you get everybody either saying virtuosity or uh, or 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 uh, what's the other one I just said. Um, with him and Ice T. Oh, um, the one that I just said was awful that I didn't like from 90, 93, 92. Ricochet. Ricochet. Awful, awful film, man. <laughs> and Denzel, if you watching, man, come on, bro. Yeah, I know hey, you've been at home going. He's not going to argue with you on that. I mean, like, I mean, they, yeah. they may have been fun to make, but he knows that they were not great movies. Not good, not good movies, man. So, yeah, I'm just thinking, man. Uh, but Deep Cover, man, getting back to that film, man, it's just, to me, it's just a movie. And, and, and here's the easiest way to say it. It has a vibe that really works. Like, like now, Deep Cover is still a really good movie. Like, so, you know, how sometimes you watch movies and you go, yeah, that movie kind of, it didn't age well. Deep Cover is like fine wine. You can pop Deep Cover. If you've never opened it up, you open up that DVD, you're like, oh, man. I mean, you got television shows nowadays that's still trying to play Deep Cover where you got people doing the same stuff. It's a timeless story, really. I mean, it just lasts forever. Man, look at this. They said Deep Cover. Here's some of the reviews at the time. Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars and praised the voiceover narration, which Lawrence Fishburne did, as poetic and colorful. That's part of the process of elevating a story from the mundane to the mythic. Bro, I can't say it any better than that. Deep cover, you know, the, it, it was almost as if when you know, when you talk about, and who wrote the screenplay for this? Let me just look that up real quick. The screenplay was written by Michael Token and Henry Bean. Michael Token wrote uh, Gleaming the Cube. He did The Rapture, which was a really interesting movie. He also wrote The Player, which Player. is also celebrating his 30th anniversary. Um, and and the, the, the way they wrote this movie, man, and the, the way it was shot, everything about Deep Cover really, really, really works well. You've got uh, a police officer who's going undercover uh, and he partners up with a guy as they are trying to sell enough, move enough units on the street. You know what I'm talking about in order to fund a designer drug that the, the connect really is not into. And there's this whole kind of back and forth challenging of masculinity that results in him finding his virtue and finding his way. Fishburne trying to step in between because, you know, he's trying to keep his, his involvement undercover, <laughs> you know, trying to keep it deep cover. Right, and right. of all the films that are made about, you know, people going undercover, at least in this urban space, this one to me is probably the best one, even though later on you have uh, the one with LL Cool J uh, as, as, as God. Remember that one? Um, <laughs> what is that movie called? I'm gonna oh, mm -hmm. you do. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. LL Cool J, Neil Long, and uh, Omar Epps. Come on, man. Really? I got to be responsible for watching all the movies on this show, man. Wow. So, 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 you know, I probably have seen it, but guess what? 
I don't remember it. Which in too deep, in too deep. Into oh yeah, that that's that, mine. The same territory as Deep Cover, nearly not as good. Now better villain in uh, LL Cool J, but the Omar Epps character is nowhere near as riveting as Lawrence Fishburne was in this film. Nowhere near. Uh, so again, man, like I said, man, congratulations to Bill Duke, Lawrence Fishburne, Jeff Goldblum, the late great Clarence Williams. Um, uh, Roger Genver Smith, who's great in this movie. There's even a small scene from rapper Def Jeff. He played yeah. the bartender. Def Jeff, yep, sure did. Def Jeff is in this movie, man. Um, so there's this, this is a movie, and remember, hats out, uh, hats off again to Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, who Dre launched the man's career with the single, which was the title cut of this film. Deep cover, man. If you have not had an opportunity, please, 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 on my recommendation, check it out. And if you've watched it again, do what I'm going to do this weekend. I'm going to watch Deep Cover again and be like, ah, ages like fine wine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Charles, we got about a minute to go, man. You got anything else, man? Because I know we got a bonus episode coming up in a little bit where we're going to review these movies. Well, you told people to uh, watch Deep Cover. I guess uh, we don't need to do a, a a bonus episode to tell them about what's out in the theaters. I'm just saying. Man, that, that's kind of what you're doing. Charles is Charles is trying to get ready for Good Friday sermon. So he's like, man, I'm out the door. I ain't trying to do no more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as we tell you guys in closing, uh, please see something good at the movies. Um, Deep Cover uh, means a lot to me. Um, I want you to watch it if you've never watched it. Hopefully it will mean something to you. Uh, watch it inside of the context of the 1990s were a really interesting time in film. And this movie does a really good job of placing you in the mindset of the early 1990s and what the drug game was at that point. So on behalf of my good friend and obstinate thinker, Charles Kirkland Jr., <laughs> uh, we hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Uh, he is risen. We will see you guys over this weekend. You take care. Uh, Charles, you got any last words? He is risen indeed. There you go. All right, brother. Amen. You take care, man. I'll talk to you, talk to you guys next week. Bye.